The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Hi, everybody. This is Rich Eisen, editor of Capital Weekly, and uh, this is the Capital Weekly Podcast. As always, I am joined by my partner in crime, Tim Foster. Tim, how are you today? I'm well. How are you, Rich? I can't complain, and I'm definitely not going to complain about our guest today. We're really, uh, I'm in a good mood today because I'm really um, excited to have Robin Swanson, who uh, by day, just like Batman, she's the president and CEO of Swanson Communications, but uh, her other role is she's also one of the, I guess, the founder and uh, maybe the reluctant president of uh, Win Like a Girl, which is something that I think we should have been talking about on this program a little bit uh, sooner than we have, but we're here now. Robin, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. Absolutely. Well, you know, back in March, you guys had an event at the, at the California Museum, mm-hmm. and it was the first time that that um, I had attended one of your gatherings, and it was presented very explicitly, you know, this is a great way for reporters to come and meet a lot of really smart, well-connected, highly accomplished women in the capital community. And, you know, really who are interested and willing and ready to be sources for stories. I thought, great. And I'm going to get there early because I know there's going to be a ton of reporters there. And there were, but for probably the first hour, I was the only guy there and i would i'm still surprised at that now eventually a couple more men showed up a couple other reporters but i was really surprised by that and i'm so grateful that i was able to be there because i ended up making connections that many have appeared in stories uh that i've done and some of our reporters have done since so robin mission accomplished what a great event (laughs) i i'm i really uh I don't know what else to say other than I cannot believe more people have not taken advantage of what you're offering. So I'll stop talking. Tell us all about Win Like a Girl. Yeah. So you've just given me the platform um, and, you know, you give a communications person the platform. You don't think you're going to talk for the next 20 minutes, do you? That's Um, okay. Thank you for coming. And I did, I think, acknowledge the men who had the guts to show up in that room, but uh, at that event, And see, it worked. And there were so many just cool and connected and important women in that room and and frankly, in a lot of rooms. Um, And usually doing the hard work behind the scenes, making things happen. Um, And I think this is a, a movement sort of born out of frustration, but trying to turn it into something positive and it is the passion of what started as a handful of women um, who were frustrated in this business that we would do a lot of work and, um, you know, come after election time, other people would jump in front of the parade and you say, wait a second, I worked on that campaign or she worked on that campaign. And it's not even so much about credit as it is about acknowledging the contributions of women and shining a light on what women in our business have been doing for a really long time. So I'm gonna take you guys to the way back time machine (laughs) um, for Capital Weekly. Um, And it was really 
the genesis of sort of an idea um, was in 2000, I want to say 2008, I might have the year wrong, um, but your top 100 list. Uh, 2009, yeah. 2009, thank you. Only had seven women uh, in the top 50. And so, you know, we all opened it with excitement and we read, were like, um, you guys, and I'm pretty sure um, I wrote an op-ed at the time <laughs> calling out my friends at Capital Weekly. Um, and I will say that the list has remarkably evolved since then. And I think you guys have had a much better eye for the people doing it. But at the time, I shared office space with Shonda Wesley, who I think at the time she was um, consulting for the California Professional Firefighters, and Christy Balma, who's now, you know, the alleged director for Governor Newsom and ran her own successful lobbying firm for a really long time. And so that was sort of the first glimmer of, you know, we really should do something about this. Like some of it is our fault as women because we don't draw enough attention to what we're doing. And some of it is the fault of reporters who aren't making an effort to really pull back a layer of the onion and say, oh, actually, there's a lot of women doing the work here. Um, so it's it's been an evolution for us, too, because we didn't officially um, form as a group until 2016. Um, and I'm happy to talk to you about that a little bit too, because that was shortly after the 2016 election. Um, Hillary Clinton was not elected president of the United States of America. And um, a lot of women worked on campaigns. There was a lot of frustration across the board. And to be clear, this is important, uh, we are a bipartisan organization. And so we felt like women on both sides of the aisle, when um, whether it's policy, politics, campaigns, we needed to shine a light on each other. I think there's some psychology um, where women have a hard time self-promoting and there's a negative connotation to self-promoting. And I think there's men who are uncomfortable with self-promoting too, but in our business, uh, if you don't take credit for the work you're doing, I guarantee you somebody else is gonna. Um, and that begets more business at the end of the day. So you know, it's, it's interesting you say this because I was there in 2009 when they did the first top 100 list. I was not involved at all. I just <laughs> worked at Capital Weekly, but I was not in any sort of a leadership role at that point. And uh, I remember, you know, immediately after it came out, uh, John and Anthony sort of realizing like uh, that, you know, they had not put it together until it was pointed out to them. And then I think they both realized like, yeah, that was, we screwed up. And now I can't remember were Shonda and Christy Bauman not even on the list at all, or were they up in the like 50 to hundred somewhere? No, they weren't. No. On the list. Okay. So, yeah. And I, I think there was a real realization that that was an oversight on their part, but you're right, they hadn't noticed it until someone pointed it out. And then it's also really funny that you mentioned the people, you know, maybe the predilection for women to deflect and maybe not take credit where they're due. We have been doing live events where we do conferences, where we bring people together to speak on panel discussions. And I've been working on those now for you know, 12 years. And I will say there is absolutely a difference between men and women and men Almost always like, oh, you need me to speak on a panel discussion? Sure, what time, when, and where? And women are like, well, I'm not really sure. Let me check. 
And I would say women are probably three times as likely to say no as men. I know. It's a very interesting, uh, you know, interesting thing that women are, you know, I mean, cynically, I'm like, I have a feeling that the women are actually doing all the work and don't have time to go screw around at a conference. And the guys are like, oh, I'll figure it out. And somebody will do the work, you know, while I'm gone. But uh, it's been something I've really noticed over the last 10 years, for sure. I think that's absolutely right. And it's, and it's on us and it's on us to kind of overcome that and just say, yeah, I did this work and I do know the subject matter. And I think women are much more likely to say, "Mm, maybe I'm not the best expert on this when in fact, you know, they have the equivalent of a PhD in campaigns because they've been doing them for 20, 30 years. Um, So I think there's a certain comfort level there. And then which is why we thought, okay, well, if we shine a light on each other, like I might not be comfortable self-promoting me, but I'm comfortable promoting Christy Balma. Um, and, and I think some of that psychology has been helpful. Um, but I will go ahead with the 2016. And I do appreciate that Capital Weekly did take a self-assessment. And now that I think of it, I think maybe Shonda and I co-authored that op-ed, that first op-ed. I would have to go back and look where we were like, um, guess what guys, here's a few other women you might've considered. Uh, and then you did. Uh, so in 2016, kind of same frustration. And I don't know that was necessarily around any kind of list, but women had done all of this work on the campaigns and clearly, um, you know, frustration. We still have never had a female president and it is 2023. Uh, and just thinking back, we were all, pretty frustrated. And Angie Tate at the time um, was the CFO of the California Democratic Party. At the time, Shonda Wesley was executive director of the California Democratic Party. Cynthia Bryant was executive director of the California GOP. Um, So they, similar frustrations and phone calls were made and we're like, did you do stuff on this campaign? Because I did. And we're like, okay, everybody show up to the Democratic Party. And it was maybe the day after or two days after the election. And people flew from all over the state. And I have goosebumps on my arms even just saying this right now. Um, All over the state to say, yeah, I I worked really hard in this campaign. I elected these three members of Congress, these five members of the state legislature, this ballot measure. And I think it was just this sigh of relief knowing that all of these other women. Um, And I will share with you that photo because it is really cool to go through that photo now, even, you know, what is it, eight years later? Um, And see where, you know, what's become of these women who are even more powerful than they were seven, eight years ago. So that was the photo. And then we said, okay, we've got to do more than a photo. So I remember we met um, and we met in the conference room at the California Democratic Party, but again, Republicans were there too. They just happened to have a really amazing space that Angie Tate had created, um, the John L. Burton building. Um, So we met in the conference room and we were sitting there. We need to name ourselves. Like, what are we? And, you know, any number of names had come up. And I remember Nancy McFadden was pacing the hallway back and forth. She was probably on the phone with Jerry Brown. And um, we'd come up with a list. And one of them was win like a girl. And Dana, I think, had gone out to say something to Nancy. Dana Williamson had gone to say something to Nancy. 
And she came back in and she says, Nancy says, win like a girl. And Nancy hadn't seen our list and it was on our list. And we're like, okay, we have a winner. So then we had a name. <laughs> we're like, okay, now what do we do? Um, and we had identified because I talk to reporters all the time who express the same thing you do, Tim, that they'll call women, but women aren't the fastest to call back. Reporters work on deadline. Um, and they don't necessarily have a deep roster of women to call. So we're like, okay, we need to make a list. We need to make a list of our own, of female experts um, on policy and politics and campaigns that reporters can call on the regular who will call them back. So we did create the list. Um, and there are hundreds of women on our list. I will say our list, the trouble with any list and working with the busiest women on the planet who are doing this out of the goodness of their heart is keeping it updated. So we ask women to go to winlikeagirlca.com and update. So anybody watching this, please update your information because um, we want to give reporters real cell phone numbers uh, when they ask for them. So um, that has been our ongoing challenge. And um, we were able to establish ourselves as a nonprofit because there were other projects we wanted to do. And we're like, okay, well, now we could actually raise money and do cool things. Um, and one of our favorites is Operation Dress Code. But I might have taken us a little off topic there. So I don't know if you guys have any other questions well, about Let me, I'll, I'll bust in here. One of the things that I think as a reporter intrigued me about, about, about the event, and I know that I, I keep talking about the event, but that was a culmination, I know, of a lot of years of work uh, for you. And one of the things that intrigued me about all that, again, is I, I really thought there would be a ton of reporters there. So it's not all on you. I, I would say sometimes uh, my colleagues, we don't always think that deeply. We get used to going back to the same sources over and over and over again. And for me, I thought, well, okay, this is a great opportunity to meet sources I don't know yet, or maybe I haven't talked to in a long time. And um, I think it's a fabulous thing that you're doing. And so when you talk about putting together a roster that reporters can use, that's great. The other side of that responsibility is we have to use it. So are you going to have more events like that where hopefully more of my male colleagues will come and do what I did and get a chance to meet face to face and talk with, with uh, members of the group so that we can establish the relationships we're in the relationship business, all of us. We are in the relationship business, including us, with our sources, with our audience, with our colleagues, with our editors. And so I'm just old enough that to me, that means I go sit down with somebody face to face and we talk and you learn to trust me and I learn to trust you. And that's how a good reporter source relationship works out, in my view. I think women are a lot better at that than men, to be honest with you, in so many cases, because I feel like that's a lot of times how women have to negotiate their way through the world. Now, it's maybe getting a little better. Again, I'm certainly not going to speak for women here. That's not my point. But that's my perception. So I, I, I've always felt really comfortable talking to women because women are just so much more e easier to develop that kind of an interaction with. I just said a whole lot there, too. So let me go back to the original question was, are, do you plan to have more events like that and where those kinds of things can be built up? And did I say anything stupid there that you don't agree with or <laughs> that you'd like to course correct me on? Because I'm happy to hear it. 
Um, no, I mean, I think you're on point. And I will say that we have had more than that one event. Um, COVID made things weird. So obviously we didn't have um, in-person events during COVID, which I think hurt a lot of people. But I want to say maybe five years ago now, we actually reached out to the Sacramento Press Club and we had a Win Like a Girl event at the Sacramento Press Club. And we had a panel of five um, powerful women representing Win Like a Girl to really encourage reporters to say, hey, and we had a female reporter um, moderate it too. So we've been trying to do that for many years, definitely hit a hiccup. Um, agree with the in-person meetings. I had a delightful meeting with an AP reporter recently, a young female reporter who reached out to me and just asked me to have coffee and like, yeah, that's great. And, you know, and we did, and, and there is a connection and I feel like I will be a good source for her. I'm saved, you know, she saved into my phone and she's going to be one of those people who I call back immediately um, as opposed to sort of anonymous numbers that are, you know, that you don't know who's calling you. So yes to all of what you said and yes to another event. Um, we've got a funding as always, <laughs> we've got to work on our fundraising a little bit. So um, our next big event that we're funding that is also um, has many layers to it is our operation dress code in November. But um, what we do and have historically done before we've had that veterans event is we have hosted an event in Sacramento where we also collect clothes. So we're women, so we're trying to multitask. And so we'll have an event where we invite reporters and female sources and also bring your suits that you're not wearing so much anymore because it's not the right size or you know whatever. And we donate those to veterans. So I think we're gonna try and pull off a combo event like that in probably in October because our event is in November and we have to figure out where those clothes are gonna go between October and November. <laughs> so one thing I'm thinking about is, you know, you're talking about the women, I mean, you're pointing out that Cynthia Bryant at one time ran the Republican party. We, the Republican party currently has a female executive director. Uh, Angie Tate and Shonda were crucial at the top end of the California Democratic Party. Uh, Dana Williamson is chief of staff for the governor. Uh, you know, Christy Bauma is way up the food chain with the governor, et cetera. And it's been like that for some time. But at the same time, it wasn't that long ago that the We Said Enough movement came out in reaction to mistreatment that was horrifying to read when this came out, you know, the things that happened to Adama Iwu, that happened to Paul Treat, that happened to many women who didn't have, you know, they didn't go public with their names, but reading the stories. Is there, do you feel like there's any crossover there between bringing out what prominent women are doing and bringing out uh, the stories of people who are successful and in positions of power and are doing hard work and also kind of making people aware that there's, you know, there's, the sort of the flip side. I mean, they almost seem like two sides of the same coin. Like being in those rooms is really important. However, being in those rooms puts you in some situations that are pretty awful. I mean, does that, is there a relationship there or I'm just making something that doesn't connect? I mean, I do think a lot of the same women um, were a part of the Me Too movement and also participate in when like a girl events. I think our missions are very different. So yep. we 
we haven't had a ton of crossover in terms of, you know, we, ha- we didn't change our mission at Win Like a Girl because we still haven't accomplished our mission of having some equity and, and really uplifting female voices. So um, it's a yes and no answer there for you. Well, you know, I, I didn't uh, initially think about this through that context, you know, the, the, the context of Me Too, but that, you know, I, I did a series of stories earlier this year um, on electing more women to the legislature and mm-hmm. um, met a lot of fabulous folks. And it's certainly been one of the focal points we've seen in a lot of the recruitment groups now is to elect more women and make sure that they have seats at the table simply because they, they've been elected, right? And they've earned those spots. You know, um, how how do you see, let me backtrack just a bit here. We saw a really big jump forward in the number of elected women last November, right? Uh, got to 50. It's still not parity yet, but the largest number ever. How, how do you see the lay of the land now in terms of how women are being treated around the capital community? And particularly just from your perspective, you know, how they are being respected or not for the work they do and uh, the accomplishments that they are racking up. I mean, I would say it's progress, but it's incremental. Um, and I think back, so I actually started my career in politics as an intern for EMILY's List in Washington, D.C., and that's to elect pro-choice Democratic women. Um, and then I worked on Capitol Hill for the six years following that before I moved out to California. And I remember just being kind of shocked when I moved to California because I always thought of California as such a progressive place. And I thought, you know, women would have a seat at the table. I remember being kind of shocked that there were so few women in the political consulting world and position of in positions of power because I felt like I saw more of that in DC. And I wasn't expecting to come to Sacramento and see less of it. So to that end, I do think that there has been some growth um, and I'm no longer the only woman in a room um, of consultants. I, I see others like me, whereas 20 some plus years ago when I got here, I didn't feel that way. So, you know, a lot of times Gail Kaufman was the only woman in the room for a really long time. Um, you know, there are women certainly who broke barriers before us. Donna Lucas was often the only woman in a room for a really long time. So I think, you know, they had to break down barriers. Um, Nancy McFadden, of course, who I really look to as our um, our inspiration now. Um, so they had to break down barriers too. And I do think I see more people like me now. But um, the press corps, I still think <laughs> when I look at the press corps, I'm like, mm, I only see a handful of female reporters. We got to grow that too. And it's on both sides, right? So. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to, I was going to ask you about that too. I mean, as yeah. I talked about the whole relationship thing, part of it uh, seems to be there really aren't that many, uh, there really aren't that many women in the press corps as as you would think in this day and age, I think there's certainly more than, you know, 30 years ago, 
but it does seem like and there's a lot of reasons for that I'm sure but it, it's a little discouraging I imagine just to to not you know part of the reason I think men uh or, or you know reporters gravitate toward men is because so many of the reporters are still male and that's they go you know to where I suppose where they're comfortable um but but see that's the other thing you've got to break that mindset somehow right you've got to as a guy reporter you still have, you have to be comfortable talking mm -hmm. to uh, a woman about an issue when you that you maybe have always gone to a man for it they should, I don't understand to me I understand why the gender thing matters in that regard anyway it should be if someone's doing something then that's the person you go talk to but I do think that maybe that's part of the mindset there and it would probably be a little different if there were more female reporters I think that's right and I think old habits die hard like you said it's whoever is on speed dial um, one of another founding member of Operation Dress Code is Mercy Brightwell. And she, you know, was a um, political reporter for News 10 for a really long time and, you know, had to work her way into all of those important rooms and get those important interviews. So um, she brings a different perspective to the table for us to try and really reach out to more reporters that way. Uh, but yeah, it's on your end. You guys have to grow the press corps uh, and recruit more women to work in the press corps. And we're going to work on making sure that there's women commenting. Um, and then somewhere that needs to show up in the newspapers um, and online and on TV. But I want to note, I love Marcy <laughs> Brightwell, and I have forgiven her for calling me out that night and, and noting to everybody that hey, there's the new Capital Weekly editors while you were telling the story about how this whole thing started because Cap Weekly screwed over all the women in town with, with the top 100. So I, I got to meet a lot of people that night simply because they said, oh, you're the guy now. Okay. Look, all I'm going to say is this. I can't, Tim will kill me. I cannot reveal too much. I will just say on Tuesday when we reveal the list, it's a very different looking list than what we've seen in a long time. One thing I can say on, you know, your comments about Gail Coffin being the only person in the room in the old days, uh, we actually just posted an oral history uh, that Dan Marine did with uh, Gail, gosh, I guess it was probably about a month ago, month and a half ago, and we just posted that at the Capital Weekly site. So if you go to the oral history tab, which is on our menu bar, uh, we have a brand new oral history with Gail where she talks about exactly that and you know bringing her her son with her to meetings and things like that and being very much a kind of a unique voice in a male-dominated industry so that's hot off the press cool well you know she was my first boss in california so oh i didn't know that yeah i worked for her for six years when i first moved out to california and wanted to work on campaigns so went straight from dc to gail kaufman's office so i I'm quite familiar with how uh, what a groundbreaker she is. Well, Robin, this has been great. I I really appreciate you coming on to talk about Win Like a Girl. I think it's a really worthy effort, and I really do hope more of my colleagues um, will download. In fact, it, before we wrap it up, maybe you can explain. Um, you guys do have a downloadable database, correct? That reporters can uh, ask to be have it sent to him so that you have a list of, of uh, very competent, powerful women who are interested in talking to reporters, right? 
Yes. So I would say um, we're actually careful about the list because of, you know, AI and like we don't want the women to get spammed. So we're actually the gatekeepers of the list and I will hand it and give it to any um, credentialed reporter or, you know, somebody I know as a reporter. Um, so I would say reach out to me and it's Robin at Swanson.com, um, dot net. Um, so I will happily email you the list that we have. And then our website is winlikeagirlca.com. And um, women can go on there and enter their information, update their information. So um, I also worked on a privacy campaign, as you gentlemen might recall. So I'm very careful about list sharing, especially one as um, coveted and as important as this one. Yeah, you know, I just discovered just discovered today that my social security number is on the dark web <laughs> so it's out there um, so that's scary there you go um again robin I, thanks we will uh, <laughs> we will put links to win like a girl's website and your we'll put your email address in there uh in the show notes so anyone that can't remember that or you're driving and you, you want to look just go to the go to the site and we'll have that in the show notes yeah what? absolutely and i highly I really do strongly suggest it because, uh, you know, a, a, a reporter's lifeblood is good sources. And here's a whole bunch of folks who want to be a good source. Take advantage of it. And I also love that Marcy Brightwell sent everyone your way. That is so Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robin, thank you very much. Really appreciate uh, you coming. Okay. Uh, thanks, gentlemen. All right. Well, thanks again to Robin Swanson for coming on and sharing insights into Win Like a Girl. Um, and now that we're done with that, it is time for who had the worst week in California politics. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. And it's been a pretty light week, but we have a pretty good candidate this time, I think. We do. Um, if anyone is paying attention to the any of the California congressional races uh, down south in Southern California, uh, a candidate running to uh, try to win the seat currently held by Republican Representative Michelle Steele. There's a, there's a handful of Democrats that are seeking the nomination uh, there. One of them, and I'm going to, I'm probably going to massacre the name, and I really apologize if I do. I believe it's Aditya Pai. Um, a message went out earlier this week that essentially the campaign was no fun, it was bringing him no joy, and therefore he was going to suspend his campaign and ride off into the sunset. And that's how it was for about four hours until another letter got sent out in which he said, well, some of what I said was true, but the part about me suspending my campaign is not true. That was a mistake by a staffer. And so that staffer has been dismissed and um, I'm still in the race. So I don't know, Tim, I, I'm not sure that counts fully as malpractice, but boy, that is right there, right there at the cusp, if not. Yeah, you know, uh, that is definitely not something you want in the campaign. I mean, if you're a candidate for office, you don't want to suddenly announce you're leaving, you're quitting the race, and then four hours later announce that you're not quitting the race and, and throw your intern or aide or whoever it was under the bus. However, that's what happened. And uh, unsurprisingly, this got quite a bit of attention. And I even saw Dave Weigel, 
<laughs> retweeting this. Uh, so suddenly he is now a much more high profile candidate than he ever was before, but probably not for the reasons he wanted. In his defense, he's handling this pretty well and he's re- retweeting some of the better uh, things that people are saying about him. And he said, you know, I'm laughing my ass off because this is hard to hear, but it's pretty true, uh, you know, with people dogging him. And uh, I think the, the quotable quote was, here was the lesson I needed to learn, even if it wasn't the lesson I wanted to learn, that he basically needed to get rid of that staff member. So uh, so anyway, good luck, Aditya Pai. Uh, I'm not sure that this is going to be your, your season, but uh, oof. I mean, he's not that far behind in fundraising uh, with the two other Democrats that are seeking the nomination, but both of them are about $2 million behind Steele. She's, she's got a huge war chest compared to them. So I think it's a big, 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 big uphill climb for whatever Democrat gets that nomination. Not impossible. There's a long time between now and the, and the election. But um, yeah, suffice to say that, uh, you know, last week when we were talking about Eleni Konolakis and, and the whole Taylor Swift thing, uh, we were talking about it as a self-inflicted wound. That's pretty much what this one is too, a self-inflicted wound. And we'll 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 see if the patient lives, but um man, <laughs> not, not a good one. Nope. So well, uh next week I'm sure we'll have another candidate. Hopefully it won't be either Eleni Kunalakis or Ajicha Pai, but you never know. Hopefully it won't be either of us after the top 100. That's what my if we can do that, I'll be great. That's true. So if you're listening to this, you know, we're gonna by the time you listen to this, it may be old news, but uh Tuesday night. Uh, August 15th, we will have the Top 100 event over at the Sutter Club. We will announce the Top 100 list the contents, and then that will go live first thing Wednesday morning. So uh, check the Capital Weekly site. So you, if you're listening to this after Wednesday, this is all old news and it's all on Capital Weekly. But if you're listening to this first thing, uh, you know, Monday or, or the first part of Tuesday, uh, the Top 100 is about to come out. And it, this will be Rich's first list. So. All right. That's all. You know, I'm excited. I hope everyone else is too. All right, Rich. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Yep. Until then, we are signing off. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.